This is God's word. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Canaanian, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. This is God's word. We'll be looking this morning uh, at these, these 12 apostles in a little more detail, because as, as you, you may know, as you read the gospel messages, and, and, and uh, as you go through the rest of the New Testament, they form a fairly, uh, or a very fundamental, very major part in, in the mission of God uh, through his son, Jesus Christ, and through, therefore, uh, the apostles. So we're going to slow down and just examine these uh, few verses together. And we're going to look, first of all, and we're going to think about the foundation of apostleship, number one. Uh, number two, we're going to look at the function of apostleship. What's it all about? And three, we're going to look at the facets of apostleship. All right, so the foundation, the function, and the facets. So first of all, then, the foundation of apostleship. What's it all about? uh, We're still in the fairly early phases, I suppose, of Mark's gospel, even though it feels like we started them yonks ago. Obviously, we've had a bit of a break. But um, if you you were to sit down and read Mark's gospel in one go, it might take you an hour and a half or something, maybe two hours uh, at the most. And uh, you'll you'll realize that we're still in the early phases. There's still much more uh, cool stuff to come, much more amazing stuff to come. And, And as we were looking last week, um, we, we, we realize that Jesus has this authoritative word. Remember, he preaches about the kingdom. He talks about his father. Uh, he speaks as one with authority. Remember that? Uh, authoritative word and authoritative power. And we saw that again last week with his healing. Uh, but we, we've seen already, you know, he's casting out demons with a word. Be gone. And, and the demons flee in his name. And what we're starting to see then now today, and we'll, we'll see this rolling out over the next few weeks as we go through Mark, is that the disciples are then called to go and do likewise. So amazing Jesus, all the power, all the authority. Um, there's so much about Jesus and his ministry, which is completely, uh, amazingly unique on our behalf and for our salvation, amen. Um, but also there is much that he does uh, to then invite others to and to come and learn from him and to come and do uh, in his name. Uh, and so he gives the pattern of ministry first for the apostles uh, but then through them to the, the church. And so that's why we, we as Foundation Church need to pay close attention to what's going on in these verses here. But he begins by teaching his apostles and showing them how to do ministry in my name, how to, how to bring the kingdom in my name. So let's look at these verses. It says in verse 13, he, that is Jesus, went up onto the mountain. And that alone is a pretty uh, significant move. Uh, quite often, when something big is about to go down, it happens on a mountain, either on the way up or the way down or, or something. God meets his people, and, and something authoritative and declarative happens on a mountain. So that's what's going on here. And it says that he called uh, to him uh, those whom he desired. So the foundation of apostleship, we can say, is the call of Jesus. Jesus selecting, Jesus choosing his team, bringing them to himself. And, and we see there his call is irresistible. Um, there's no one who said, you know what, can I take a rain check? Or, or um, can, I, can I get back to you? 
The call of Jesus in this situation is irresistible. And it says they came to him. He called and then they came. And then it goes on to say in verse 14, and he appointed them, uh, appointed the 12, uh, whom he also termed apostles. He appointed them. The, the Greek word behind this word appointed um, uh, suggests, uh, carries with it the idea of creating them, forming a team, forming something out of nothing, constructing this, this, this unit that didn't previously exist. He appointed them. And so what we have in these first few verses when it comes to the, uh, the foundation of apostleship uh, is, is Jesus calling, he's creating, he's bringing together these people to form this new, this brand new community. Um, and, and we've thought a few weeks ago about um, this, this idea of the new wine, you know, the new wine of the kingdom. Uh, they are to carry this new wine, if you like. They are to be the new Israel, this new community. Why, why is there 12 of them rather than 10 or 7? Why is it not the famous 5 or the secret 7? It's, it's the awesome 12. Well, he appointed 12 specifically to reflect uh, the 12 tribes of Israel, the, the, the number of tribes that formed the Old Testament people of God. And so very uh, uh, overtly, Jesus is selecting 12 new, I suppose, heads of the new uh, community that he is setting up, the new Israel. Uh, and he constitutes them uh, and brings them together as his apostles. And in verses 16 through to 19, we, we get the list of the individuals that formed that, that team. Uh, we've met a few of them already in our studies. The top of the list, top of every list, whenever the apostles are listed, always comes Simon. That was his real name, Simon, his actual name. Um, but as, as, as we see here, Peter, sorry, Jesus gives him the name uh, Peter. Peter, by the way, at that time wasn't an actual name, rather like Mark or, or Rachel. Uh, you know, it wasn't a proper name. Uh, it was, it was a, a nickname. And, and yet, obviously, and it's come down to us through the years and it has now, therefore, become an ordinary name. But at that time, it wasn't. Uh, and Peter means uh, rock. It means rock. Uh, sometimes you'll hear the word kephas, which is the Aramaic version, also meaning rock, uh, Peter from, the, from the, the Greek Petros, meaning rock. He was to be the rock. He was to be the one who was like the, uh, the, uh, the chief leader, I suppose, of the twelve. Uh, and as we've seen in the, in the past, he's a fisherman. Uh, he, he became the leader of the twelve. Uh, he was often the first to open his mouth, uh, to speak, and he's often the first to put his foot in his mouth when he speaks. And we see this playing out throughout the life of Peter. Then we have James and John, brothers. Uh, likewise, they were fishermen as well. And Jesus, again, gives them uh, a nickname. This isn't something that sticks for us uh, these days, unlike Peter. Uh, but he, Jesus calls them the sons of thunder. Uh, probably a reference to the fact that these, these pair were argumentative. They never liked to lose a battle. Um, they may be hot-headed, uh, a bit angry, or something like that. So it was a, it was, it was a sort of a, a nickname, sons of thunder. They just had a reputation for being... Uh, a bit hot under the collar. And then Andrew, uh, the next one, he's actually Peter's brother, a fisherman. And then we go through the list of Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew. Matthew was the one who was great with figures. Um, he was, he was the, uh, the reformed tax collector, uh, the one who used to be gathering money on behalf of the Romans and pocketing some for himself, making himself very rich. Jesus calls him in Mark chapter 2. And, um, and then he joins this, uh, this, this unit, the 12. So we've got him. Uh, we've got Thaddeus. Uh, so we've got Thomas, who's the doubter, he's the skeptic, he's the critic in the bunch. You know, he's the one who's just like, show me the evidence, then I'll believe. 
Um, he's the one who's always stripping down to, back to the, the, the roots of everything. And why should I believe this? This is, this is Thomas. Uh, and then James we have, possibly also, he was probably the brother of uh, Matthew, the tax collector. Um, we're not sure exactly. Uh, Thaddeus, we've just said, and Simon the Canaanian. Uh, if you look at the, the similar list in Luke and Matthew, you'll realize it's called Simon the Zealot. Um, as a zealot, he would have formed part of a, a party, um, a, what we might describe as a very fiercely nationalistic party. He loved Israel. He loved everything about Israel. And, and, and this party that he was uh, formerly no doubt, a member of was committed to the violent overthrow of Rome. It was a revolutionary group. And so uh, perhaps we might call him a dissident uh, in today's language. There he is in the team. And last and very least was Judas the betrayer. He comes at the bottom of every list of all the apostles. And so we have this team that Jesus called together, the team that Jesus wanted. He handpicked them, he selected them, and with them he created his, his new community. From the outspoken Peter, to the argumentative James and John, to the tax-fiddling but now saved Matthew, to the dissident nationalist called Simon, to the skeptic called Thomas. This highly diverse uh, and yet, uh, in Jesus, absolutely united group of people, this new community. He called them, they came, and he united them together. And it gives us a bit of an insight, folks, on how the, the church coming after the apostles, how the church should look in terms of its diversity. The church should be the kind of place, in theory, if we get our message right and our actions right, and as blessed of God, it should be the sort of place where we get such diversity, political views, um, you know, social agenda, uh, position in society, all that, all united in and around the person of Jesus Christ, worshipping him together and on mission uh, in the way that he has called us to be. That's exciting. Um, but I hope, I hope you, can, you can start to see that an apostle, uh, before he or she is anything, an apostle is a disciple. First and foremost, an apostle is a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus. Yes, the apostles, these 12 here, are leaders within the church. Uh, they are the generals in the king's army, you could say. Um, and yet we, here today, as disciples of Jesus, belong to this new community that started on that day when Jesus called the 12. And Jesus formed us as a, as a people, and he includes us in his units. And, and, and so therefore we share the same commission uh, through the apostles that he gave to them. We, we also participate in the battle that they are prepared for and sent out to. And, and in fact, I'll put it like this. If you today are a believer in Jesus, much like the apostles, you're a believer in Jesus because Jesus has first called you. Um, because he wanted you in his team. Because he desired you. And he set his affections on you. And he hand-selected you. Hand-selected you. That's why... Primarily, you're a believer in Jesus. Yes, you responded. Yes, you chose to put faith in that and accept that and receive that with the empty hands of faith. But Jesus wanted you. And if you're not a believer and you're listening to this, by the way, that doesn't mean that Jesus hasn't called you. Maybe he is. Maybe he is saying to you, follow me. Come and follow me. Come, come to me. Maybe he is calling you. And when it comes to faith, uh, we see this throughout the Bible. We see it in our own experiences. Some people just hear the call of Jesus just like that and they turn and drop everything and follow him straight away. Sometimes it is as instant and dramatic as that. 
But other times, it's, not, it's, a, it's a longer journey, it's a slower process of listening to the call of Jesus and understanding more about him and seeing what he's all about and learning about him from the scripture and, and, and you know, coming to faith over a longer period of time. And that's okay, and that happens, and that's something that we thank God for. But however it happens for you, whether it's an instant thing or whether it's over a longer period of time, Jesus calls his people to himself. And so we see that, first of all, is the foundation of apostleship for these 12, and the same for us too, through them. Jesus calls, he chooses, he creates, he unites. That's what he's doing. So the foundation of apostleship is the calling of Jesus. Um, so, so, so what are the apostles to do then? He, he's brought them together, what are they to do? Well, that's the second part we're going to look at then is the function of apostleship. Uh, we've got these 12 called together. Um, and it says in verse 14, he appointed the 12, whom he also named apostles. Um, by the way, the word apostle means sent out, the sent out ones. Um, Jesus called these 12 together and he called them to be with him, verse 14, and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. All right, so the function of apostleship is right there. To be with Jesus and to be sent out by Jesus. To be with and to be sent. That's the function of apostleship. To be with Jesus. He's calling these 12 men into relationship with him, into intimacy with him. Uh, They're going to be the closest human beings to Jesus during his his ministry in life, up to the, the death and resurrection. These 12 are the closest to him. They get to be with him unlike anyone else. Uh, They get to learn from him. They get to uh, eat with him. They get to observe everything that he says and does. Uh, There's no no hiding. When you open your life to others in that that level of intimacy, there's no hiding away. They don't just see you on the good days. They don't just hear you preaching and then don't see you for the rest of the week. Uh, you, you, You hear everything. There's no hiding. And yet they're called to come along and observe and to listen and to get alongside, to understand his heart, to train under his tutelage. To, to follow his example. They're not given a bunch of textbooks to say, right, go and read these first, and then you can come back once you've graduated and we'll talk about discipleship. No, Jesus says, come to me. Be with me. Become familiar with me. Be friends with me. I want to be your friend. You be friends with me. Come and learn the theory and the practice as we do life together. So that's the, the, the being with. That's the first function of the apostle. But then they're being sent, right? That's the other half of the sentence. Uh, that he might be with him, that he, you know, and he might send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. Be with and be sent. And they're sent to preach and then go and do likewise. Cast out demons. Multiply my ministry. Of course, teaching is, is uh, preaching in this context. We've, we've, we've seen Jesus preaching all about the good news of the kingdom. That's how he started his ministry, remember? The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. And so that same message is then given to these 12 trainees. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. And it's in and through Jesus that you get to enter into that kingdom. That's the message that they are given to, to go and proclaim out there. And later on we see that they're they're, they're called to be witnesses, to to go and share everything they've seen Jesus do and say. This is the authoritative word that we thought about last week. It's then passed to the apostles. I have authoritative word, 
I'm giving that to you. You now carry this authoritative word and also this authoritative power. It says uh, he gave them authority to cast out demons. We've seen Jesus doing that. Now we see the apostles being trained to do that. Casting out demons, showing that the gospel, the kingdom, has power over them. Announcing that the kingdom is coming, but also demonstrating the kingdom is here by ridding the afflicted of demons. And so the apostles were called to to push back the kingdom of darkness that that is dominated by the misery and the sin and and the sickness and the oppressive demonic activity. They're not just only to say good news, the kingdom is coming, but they're also to say, and look, this is what it looks like. Be gone in the name of Jesus. Be, Be healed in the name of Jesus. This is what the kingdom looks like. Turn to him. Come to the kingdom. Bow to the king. Authoritative word. Authoritative power. And of course, it's the the kind of message that dispels division. It's the kind of message that brings a deep satisfaction to those who hear it and accept it. It's the kind of message that brings healing and restoration to those who have faith. It's the kind of message that means that dissident nationalists and state collaborators can embrace one another in new community. It's the kind of message where sceptics find answers and activists find their ultimate purpose together in community. It's the kind of message where the talkers and the thinkers, the prosperous and the low income, all are united in and around Jesus, loving each other, loving him and loving the world. That's the function of apostleship. And of course, as we've started to think, what we're reading here and what we're seeing here is given primarily at this stage to the apostles, but it's not limited to the apostles. It doesn't just end with the 12 of them. It's heightened within them. They're given special and unique commission and calling for that, to be sure. But as his people, the people of Jesus, we are given his authoritative word and his authoritative power. We're given his word, we're given his spirit, his message and his power to go and show and tell what the kingdom of God looks like. How to access that through faith in Jesus. What Jesus has done for you to fit you ready for the kingdom of the king. That's what we're to go and do out there. And so for us as a church, it's it's relatively simple. It is. It's, It's just listen to the words of God. Obey the words of God. And go out with the words of God. Uh, In in some ways, we can think of ourselves as as an apostolic people, getting our calling through and from the apostles. We're we're kind of like an apostolic community, so to speak. Um, As he sends us out, as he gives us opportunities to make much of Jesus. This is the function of apostleship. Be with, be sent. With Jesus, sent by Jesus. Foundation... Uh, the function of apostleship. Uh, I want to touch on now uh, and spend a bit of time just focusing on the, on the third and final part, a bit longer, um, but the facets of apostleship. Um, and, and to do that, we're going to embrace some of the wider biblical teaching on the subject of apostleship. Uh, because uh, so, so much of what we've considered together this morning applies specifically to the 12 apostles. It can, it can apply generally to us as believers in Jesus, sort of descended from the apostles in faith, I suppose you could say. 
But I think there are four facets uh, that the Bible presents of apostleship. Just so that we know, when we, when we say apostleship and what, what we talk about apostles maybe in the church, what we mean by that. Four facets. Four facets. Uh, first facet or first grouping, I suppose, of apostles. When we say apostles, we, we refer to the 12, right? The 12 men that we've just seen here, selected, handpicked by Jesus. 12 of them, specifically constructed, representing, as we've been thinking, this new community, this new Israel. Um, Judas uh, subsequently goes on to betray Jesus. Uh, he commits suicide. He, he's removed from office, uh, so to speak. Uh, and what happens before the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost, they, uh, the, the remaining 11 and the disciples, the broader disciples, know that there must be 12. So they, they go and, and Peter stands up on this occasion and he says, look, uh, we need to select uh, one from among you who has accompanied us from the very start, uh, from the time when Jesus was baptized up until the time when we saw him ascend to the right hand of the Father, so that he might become with us a witness to his resurrection. We need someone who fulfills those criteria. And so they, 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 they chiseled it down to two, two guys. They, they threw lots, throw lots to, to decide between the two. And they picked this guy called um, Matthias or Matthias uh, to be numbered among the 11, to complete that 12, that unit of 12, the new Israel. And so first facet of apostleship then is the 12. They will always be there, fundamental, foundational, the new Israel. And, and as, we, as, we, as we see in us in our physical Bibles, uh, the writings of those apostles are the words of God. We take them as, as, as holy scripture, as God's word to us. So the letters of Peter, the letters of John, for example, are, are scripture. They are God's word to us through the apostles. Facet number one. But then there's a second facet that I'm going to call today biblical apostles. All right, so this, this is uh, those who stand outside the 12, but the scripture calls them apostles. Um, and so probably the, the obvious, the most obvious example of that is the apostle Paul. He was not one of the 12, um, but yet he was widely known as the apostle to the Gentiles, you know, the, 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 the one who primarily took the good news of Jesus to non-Jewish people out there. And as you may know, the Apostle Paul, St. Paul, uh, was a major contributor to the Christian faith um, through his activity, through his teaching, through his, his writing. And again, Paul's writings also become part of Scripture. He's not one of the twelve, but he's a biblical apostle. And he is also someone who was called by Jesus, uniquely and specifically, appointed by Jesus. He even saw Jesus in some sort of heavenly vision situation on the Damascus road when he was off to go and round up Christians to kill them or, or persecute them or something. Um, Jesus appeared in glory, either physically or through some vision, visionary experience or whatever, uh, where he specifically called um, Paul on the Damascus road. Paul frequently refers to himself in his letters as an apostle of Jesus Christ. So Paul's a, what I'd call a biblical apostle. But the Bible also talks of other leaders in the early church as apostles. For example, you can read in Acts 14, twice Barnabas is referred to as an apostle. He was one of the, the traveling missionaries, part of the team with Paul. He also is referred to as an apostle. James the Lord's brother, the brother of Jesus, the half-brother of Jesus, was also referred to as an apostle 
in Galatians 1.19 and 1 Corinthians 15. There's also strong evidence that Silas and Timothy were also referred to and known as apostles, and quite possibly also an early teacher by the name of Apollos, who appears several times in the New Testament letters. These are all examples of what I would call biblical apostles, not the 12, but still referred to as such. And and, and taken together, the 12 and then the, the, the wider sort of college of apostles, if you like, give us the authoritative witness of the church, right? This fixed body of truth, this settled revelation about the good news of God through and in Jesus Christ, his son. And so their writings, Paul and, and John and, and, and Peter and maybe one or two others as well, like James, for example, wrote the book of James. Um, they give us the word of God. We recognize the authority of their teaching and their writing. Uh, we, we place it above and along, oh, sorry, with, alongside the Old Testament prophets, the writings, uh, the Psalms, and so forth. And, and, and therefore, we submit to their teaching. We listen to their teaching. We believe it. We confess it. Uh, we articulate it. That's why we use the Apostles' Creed from time to time here at Foundation, to, to, to encapsulate the teaching of the Apostles. That's why we study and receive the New Testament as God's Word, as we're doing today, because of the authority uh, of the Apostles. We make deductions from Scripture. We do theology with Scripture. But we never add to Scripture or subtract from it because of the authority of the Apostles. We always return to the apostolic witness And we take them on a par with the very words of Jesus himself, the very words of God. Are you with me so far? So we've got the the 12, we've got the biblical uh, apostles. Um, I'm going to say the third facet, we've probably covered this already. All believers in general, in some way or other, are, are apostolic or rather what we see said and spoken to and through the apostles uh, can also be and should be applied to us as disciples of Jesus in general. What Jesus says to the apostles, he says to the church. If you're a believer in Jesus, you're a member of the church, world, worldwide member of the church. So, and so as we've been seeing, much of what is said and, and, and done with the apostles is being said and done uh, to disciples in general. Um, in fact, it's not recorded in the Gospel of Mark, but in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, um, almost these exact same words. Jesus speaks to 72 believers, unnamed believers, and says to them, go out and preach the good news and go and heal uh, sickness and go and um, cast out demons in my name. So, so we know that there's an expectation from Jesus that this applies to disciples in general as well as the apostles in particular. Uh, But what I want to spend the last few moments of our talk thinking about is a fourth facet I want to consider together today. Are apostles still in play in the local church or in the contemporary church in 2021? Do we still have apostles today? In other words, are there those out there who occupy the office of apostle or are gifted with apostolic gifting to serve and build up the local church? This is a subject that some uh, sincere believers say, no, there is no such thing as apostolic people today. And other sincere believers say, yes, there is um, apostolic uh, gifting and calling today. Now, we're going to spend some time during the summer. We're going to park the Gospel of Mark and we're going to focus on uh, the spiritual gifts that, that, that Jesus gives to the church to build the church up. And so we will probably come to this issue again. But I just want to bring you a summary of what I believe the Bible teaches 
uh, us about apostles. And my view is that the office of apostle or apostolic gifting is available today. And it is something that we see and should embrace as the contemporary church. Uh, before we think about that, um, I want to bring a few scriptures to um, show where, where this understanding comes from. Um, first of all, it's this one here. Can you see that behind me? Okay. Can you, see, can you guys see that? It's good having it on the back wall, isn't it? You can see a bit better. Cool. Um, so it says here in Ephesians 4, verse 11 through 13, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, and the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. There's a lot going in on in those verses. We're not going to go through them in detail. But I just want to point out that Jesus, the ascended Lord, gives gifts to the church to build them up, until we attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and mature manhood to the fullness of the stature of Jesus Christ. We're not there yet as a church. We haven't ticked that box. The church of Jesus Christ has not attained fullness and complete maturity. Therefore, I think it stands to reason that these gifts of prophets and apostles and evangelists and shepherds and teachers are still continuing and still for us until we get to that stage. Others would perhaps look at this and say, well, yes, he's given us shepherds and teachers, but the others have, have ceased at some point in history. Um, to which I would say, well, that's hard to sustain on these verses. It seems to be all or nothing. Either we have it all or he hasn't given any of it. There's much more we could say about that, and we'll maybe attack that a little more in the future. The second uh, passage I want to show you is from uh, 1 Corinthians 12, again, another writing of the Apostle Paul. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administration, and various kinds of tongues. He was addressing a local church where much of this was happening already. So it's self-evident that... that that the gifts of administration was happening and the gifts of miracles was happening, it follows that all of these things are happening. Otherwise, it's very confusing as to what Paul is actually saying here. So it seems to be this passage and the one we've just read taken together suggests that, at least in Paul's mind, the ongoing um, gifting of apostleship to the local church and among the local churches to build her up and to strengthen her to become mature uh, and united in Jesus Christ. I don't know if you find that very convincing at all, but um, I certainly do. And as I say, there's, there's much that we could say on, on this topic. Uh, but Paul, according to those scriptures we've just read, certainly anticipates the continuation of these gifts. Uh, he doesn't put a time zone on it or a sell-by date on it. He certainly anticipates the continuation of these gifts and many other gifts, all the gifts that he talks about there. Um, and this is not a new thing that we're just talking about today, as if the church has never thought of this before in the past. Uh, Patrick, for example, St. Patrick, uh, was, was commonly, and is commonly known as the Apostle to Ireland. And he's not in the Bible. Uh, Adoniram Judson, an American missionary several centuries ago, was known as the Apostle to Burma. Many other people are given a similar title, whether formally or informally, to show the kind of uh, ministry that they execute in the kingdom of God. Just to be clear, 
All this talk about the ongoing nature and gifting of apostleship does not for one minute mean that they therefore occupy, if such an individual has this gifting or calling, does not occupy the same level of authority. We're not talking about the same thing as the twelve or the biblical apostles, all right, in terms of their ability to bring fresh revelation, fresh doctrine that is on a par with that of Scripture. That's not what we're talking about here. I don't think that's what Paul was referring to here in these texts. But what it seems to be talking about here in these scriptures is an openness for the ongoing role of apostolic-type gifting within the local church. Let me explain what I mean by that, and you might find this a bit more easy to to grasp. Um, Apostolic gifting, as we see in scripture and throughout history, looks like those who are committed and gifted and fruitful to advance the gospel into regions where Jesus is not fully known or has never been known. Uh, Those with apostolic gifting um, are fruitful in their their ministry. They're able to establish churches or communities of Christians. Uh, Some traditions or some Christians would refer to this as pioneering ministry, going out there on a limb where no one has been before. I would refer to that as apostolic, but it's the same thing. Those with apostolic gifting naturally form an abundance of relational connections with the churches that they plant and serve. Those with apostolic gifting are often recognized as a father in the faith. They provide oversight, they provide input, they provide a doctrinal steer where necessary to help churches flourish and become healthy. For example, we see the Apostle Paul. He goes around preaching the good news of Jesus. He he forms uh, believers into communities, i.e. plants churches. He's fruitful in his preaching. And then he returns sometime later to strengthen them, to, 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 to build them, to help them become more healthy, either through physical presence or through his letter writing, encouraging them and instructing them. John, the Apostle, likewise relates to a specific group of churches, as does the Apostle Peter. If you go to 1 Peter, his first letter, he, he writes to the, 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 the scattered believers in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Beth, uh, Bithynia, and Asia. This isn't all believers everywhere. This is just a believers in a set geographic area. It seems to be he relates specifically to those as opposed to all, all other churches. So can you see what I mean? It seems to be that those with these apostolic giftings uh, relate to certain groupings of churches um, that that in turn relate back to them again. Those with apostolic gifting have an ability to to identify need and move kingdom resources strategically so that ministry can flourish and churches can become healthy. In short, we need people like this in the church today to help us grow and become more and more powerful in the name of Jesus. So there's four facets of apostleship. Let's just close by by thinking of of a couple of ways that this then applies and works out in the life of church here at Foundation Church. Very quickly, number one, as Foundation Church Belfast, as you can see, we are a part of the advanced movement of churches, uh, a group of churches, And within that group, there are those who are, let's say, recognized as having an apostolic voice or play an apostolic role. Uh, And as part of our connection with them, we we welcome voices from outside to speak into us as a church, uh, to speak into leadership, to, you know, help us um, form good 
practice and, and good uh, ministry and, and such, such like. We as a church carefully weigh up any words or any advice or encouragement that comes to us from outside. We do that. And yet we want to be strengthened and built up by those with apostolic voices from outside um, with a track record. Note, this does not supersede the elders and the members of the local church as the final source of authority under God. That's us. That's on us. And yet, as part of our connection um, to advance and, and further afield even so, um, we welcome outside voices just to help us become more healthy. Uh, we welcome input. We want to be stirred and encouraged by those who are evidently gifted to serve churches um, in a specific region, to, to father us, I suppose, so that we might become even more fruitful. First application. Second application, then, of this teaching uh, is this. Um, as a church, when we look within, one of the things that we're looking for uh, is trying to identify those who have apostolic type gifts, apostolic gifting. Uh, we want to be aware that this exists as a church. We want to identify uh, those who have that heart, that calling. We want to examine them. We want to train them. We want to get behind them. Uh, people perhaps who are called to plant churches in areas where the gospel is not heard. People who, pardon me, want to um, and just feel uh, called by God to establish fresh gospel ministry where it is not currently existing. Those who are specifically called by the Lord uh, to do that task, as they want to identify, develop and train, so we might release such people to go on and multiply, just as we see Jesus working through his apostles here. And this, I believe, is an essential component of our vision at Foundation Church to catalyse gospel transformation of our nation. Even if we were to grow to be a church of 2,000 people, let's say, we're still never going to reach a nation on our own. But when we identify and train up and release those with apostolic giftings and callings to go out with the gospel in diverse parts of our nation and beyond, then you can start to see that we can have a greater effect for the kingdom of God and the glory of Christ. We do that through resourcing, renewing and replication. We've talked about this before. Apostles are God's gift to his church, Jesus' gift to his church. Very much so in those days and yet still continuing today as we go out on mission as a church.